0: All right, well, we're going to do a little bit of review of upon this rock, right, building a life upon the life of Jesus and the rock of Jesus. So um, just as a little review, what are some things that you remember or jump or jump out to you about our, our little series we've done so far? Anybody have anything they re- they remember or made an impression upon them? It's always a hard question right off the bat. All right, if you think of something, let me know. What are the two different meanings of the word rock in the Bible? What does rock mean in the Bible? Our first week. Solid foundation. solid foundation, right? Rock means foundation or solid foundation. What are you going to build your life upon? What foundation are you building yourself upon? What else does it mean? means foundation or God. Right? So when Jesus says I'm going to build the church upon the solid rock, he's talking about building what the church upon Jesus Christ himself, the rock or foundation. And the question becomes again, who are you going to build your life upon? Right? Are you going to be like the foolish builder who builds his life upon the sands and all the philosophies of this world that change and wash away under every storm? Or are you going to build your life the question really is are you going to build who what God are you going to build your life upon? Because people build their lives upon themselves make themselves their own God in their little life. Or they're going to build themselves upon the rock eternal. Right? Out of Isaiah, that never changes. And so Jesus gives an invitation to his followers to build your life upon the rock eternal and upon Jesus Christ. Right? And that's what our series is really about. An invitation to build your life upon the rock eternal Jesus Christ. All right, What do you remember about our little study two weeks ago on the Holy Spirit? I mean, not the Holy Spirit, sorry, the Holy Scriptures. What do you remember? You guys awake with me? Yep, had to be approved by everyone, right? So global acceptance, which meant around the Mediterranean, basically. right? There was five things. That's one of them. What are the other five? Yep, so twenty-five thousand plus copies of the original documents, right? Have to be by the one of the twelve or their 12 Yep, exactly. So it had to be a, written by one of the original twelve disciples, apostles, or one of their direct disciples. Yep, so had to have consistent Christian doctrine and consistent Christian moral values in the teachings, right? Very good. And one more that is probably the most important of them at all. You say it had to be worldwide? Yep, had to be globally accepted. Inspired by who? The Holy Spirit, right? So the five things where it needed to be agreed upon universally or unanimously inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by an original apostle or one of their disciples, accepted globally, had consistent Christian doctrine and Christian moral values. And if you remember when we talked about how it taking some time for those things, the two things that held some up, the main one was global acceptance, right? Just simply some of the letters weren't being as circulated as others. And then the other one was the struggle of apostleship, particularly over Hebrews. It took a while to come to a consensus on that one. All right, so what do you remember about um, Heather's little talk last week about devotion and prayer? Yeah, right, you can pray for absolutely everybody, including those that maybe you're having some conflict with or, excuse me, struggles with, that kind of thing. Or you don't even know. You can pray for people you don't even know, obviously, too. Anybody used her little, um, like, ACTS acronym that she passed out in the bookmark? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Encourage you, if you got one of those bookmarks, to practice using them. Don't just stick it on the shelf. It'll help you with your prayer life, just kind of get going. So usually either that or, like, going through the Lord's Prayer, those kinds of things are just really practical tools to help you develop a deeper prayer life and deeper relationship with Jesus. So, I mean, we're going through all these Christian foundations, but keep in mind, a foundation is only, you know, like a, a pillar, if you would, like this holds up the building, or a foundation is something that's core to the principles of Christianity. It's only good if you put it into practice, right? If you don't apply something, it doesn't not going to serve you any. So just keep that in mind. We're going through these things, but I'm hoping that you will apply them uh, in your life. So today we're going to talk about something I'm really excited about. We're going to talk about the Trinity, um, also called the Eternal Godhead. So what is, uh, what is the Trinity? Christian? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all right. So what is the word um, Trinity meant to convey? You're right. Yes, absolutely. Like, so three in one, okay? So it's important, I think, for you to know that Jews really don't like that term because they don't like the idea of having three gods in one like it wrecks their brain and messes messes with them. So the idea of the Trinity is really a kind of a New Testament philosophy, I guess, a Christian unique philosophy. Um, but it's it is really important. And something that's cool about Trinity, I was thinking today when getting ready to talk about this, that if all you believed in was God the Father, God would still be very unique compared to all the gods on the face of the earth if all you believed in was just Jesus as God, he would be very unique upon all the gods ever worshipped upon the earth. And if all you believed in the Holy Spirit, God would be very unique upon the face of the earth. But the, the idea of three in one just blows it out of the water as far as how unique our God is and how powerful he is. So we're going to talk about that today. right? So the Trinity, right? in your own words, my own words, is three aspects of God working as one almighty God. And it contains some theological terms: um, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, right? And eternally timeless. Those are all aspects of God. They are three distinct offices or characteristics of God. So, omnipotent means all-powerful, right? In order for God to be God by definition, He has to be all-powerful. Right? Remember, in anybody ever watched the movie Aladdin? Right? What does the bad genie or the bad guy wish for? All to be the most powerful what? Yeah, or genie in the universe, right? So he becomes all power. Can you have two all-powerful genies? Yes. No. Right? You can only have one. So Aladdin, or no, the genie, becomes second most powerful genie once that he has to grant that wish, right? So by definition you can't have multiple all-powerful gods. You can only have one. And if there's one all-powerful God that makes every other God in the universe and every other type of worship or religion false, does that make sense? You can only, by definition, of of God, which makes the Romans kind of sound crazy if they never didn't think through their faith very well, you can only have one God and it has to be all-powerful. By definition, God has to be all-powerful. So the idea of worshiping multiple gods is is illogical, right? Now another d- unique thing about God is omnipresent, right? The idea that God can be present everywhere, which we'll get to and talk talk about that. That's the one that really throws a lot of people off. The idea that God, similar to omnipotent or all powerful, God is omniscient or all knowing, right? You can't have Multiple all-knowing beings in the universe, you can only have one. And by definition, again, if you have one all-knowing God, that's it. There are no other gods. And the other unique characteristic about God is he has to be timeless. He can't be limited by time, which is where the names Alpha and Omega come in. It's a Greek uh, alphabet talking about the beginning and the end. Like In other words, there is no beginning before God. There is no end after God. He is timeless, not bound by the constraints of time, which we have a beginning, and because he created us eternally, we will go on forever with God. But it's because he gave us an eternal spirit, part of being created in his image. wanted to read Foursquare's uh, theology on this one to you. It has some big terms, but I hope you'll get some stuff out of it. He says, we believe that there is but one true and living God, "'Maker of heaven and earth and, and all that is in them, "'the Alpha and the Omega, whoever was and is and shall be, "'time without end, amen, that he is infinitely holy, "'infinitely mighty, infinitely tender, "'infinitely loving and infinitely glorious, "'worthy of all possible love and honor, "'confidence and obedience, majesty, dominion and might, "'both now and for evermore. "'that in the unity of the Godhead there are three, equal in every divine perfection, executing distinction but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. So again, there are three unique offices, but they are harmoniously working together as one. The Torah is saying that God is worthy of every adoration, every amount of worship, every amount of obedience we could possibly give God because he is holy and mighty. We're going to go through all these scriptures. I encourage you to write them down again. I apologize that we're jumping around so much, but there's so much we could use. uh, You can go back through and kind of read them on your own. All right, so what is, in your own words, the role of the Father? What is the role of Father God? You can guess if you want to. By your own understanding, before we get into it, what's the role of God the Father? Sure, good. The Godhead, you said. Yep, or the head of God. Sometimes people will say. Good. What else? What? A warrior. Okay. What else would you say about God the Father? Where does He reside? Why do you think that, before we even get into it, why do you think that might be important? What would happen if God vacated the throne of heaven? Well, somebody else could take his place. Yeah, true, right? Revelation says that the presence of God is what lights up heaven. Here's just a couple of things I put down. First of all, God the Father, one of his roles is he reigns supreme, which we talked about also his role is to cast judgment, which both rewards people and punishes people. Sort of the ultimate judge, like if you think about it, if you went before trial with somebody you got in a fight with, one person the judge is going to reward, and the other one is going to pay a price, right? In eternity we see that the believer, those that worship God, they get rewarded for every act of service and every act of obedience that they follow through, while those who reject Christ pay a price, and they pay the price and are punished, essentially, for every act of disobedience and rebellion that they do. So God the Father's role is to reward and to punish, to act as the ultimate judge. As Pam mentioned, he acts as the head of the Trinity, His role is to receive eternal worship as well. All worship goes to the Father in the end. And his role is the omniscient part of God or the all-knowing part of God. We see several times throughout the New Testament. I don't have all the references for it, but Jesus, remember when Peter mentions you are the Christ? Jesus specifically tells Peter that was revealed to you by the Father. Right? And... Uh, Many other times, every time somebody has an aha moment, Jesus tells them that was revealed to you by the Father. And even Jesus himself doesn't even know some of the time, and he has to pray for things to receive from the Father. So the Father is the all-knowing aspect of God. Some things Jesus says that only the Father knows, including the revealing of the end of human history that holds the scroll in his hands, which is basically the unveiling of the end of human history and judgment. Jesus says only the Father knows the timing of that. So the all-knowing part of God lies with the Father. All right, so what is the role of the Son? It's probably the aspect of God we're most familiar with. For obvious reasons, what would those obvious reasons be? Intercedes for us. Died on the cross for our sins, right? The man came to earth, or God came to earth in the form of what? Man. Bible uses a term called flesh. Right? God with skin on, as Alex, Pastor Alex often will say. What else is unique about the role of the Son? The Superman, right? The hero in a lot of ways. Put down the role of the Son. He is the incarnation of God in the flesh. He is our example, right, of how to live the Christian life. Our faith is named after him. He is our example. He is our Redeemer. He provided, as Christians said, victory over the darkness upon the cross. Victory over sin upon the cross. And he's our mediator and our intercessor advocating for us. Many other things as well. It's just a short list. All right, so what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes referred to as the mysterious side of God because people get confused. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Like we Christ or God a whole into our hearts, the Holy Spirit that's specifically what comes in and fills us and keeps us going and heals us. Good. So if I could reword in my own words what I hear you saying anyways is, I'll, I'll at least just one second before, is uh, saying while we maybe use the name of Jesus and focus on Jesus so much, in some ways the Holy Spirit's actually what's impacting us practically maybe the most in our lives. Sure. Good, it's for, Intercedes for us, yes. Spirit of form of God, yes. Yeah, so, yep, yeah, gets the least attention sometimes. Good. Prompts us. What does um, the Holy Spirit do in a similar way that we see angels do in the Bible? What is something you see angels do in the Bible that the Holy Spirit also does? He guides, us. guides us? Okay, good. How? What's a, what's a specific way you see an angel in the Bible guide somebody? What? Okay, yeah. What does, the like, for example, the angel Gabriel do for Mary? Yeah, so he gives her a message, right? Holy Spirit does the same thing. Both the angelic and the Holy Spirit are messengers, in a sense. Right? They bring a message from God the Father to us. All right, so here's just a, a few, again, roll. First of all, the Holy Spirit is the omnipresent part of God, or the part of God that is present everywhere. Remember, God, by definition, cannot have a limitation unless he puts a limitation upon himself. No one else can put a limitation upon him. So if God can't be present everywhere, he is not God. Which is why every other religion does not have a God they worship, if they really think through it. The Holy Spirit is the only religion upon the face of the earth where God does not have a limitation of space. And he can be everywhere all the time. There's only a couple of limitations, if you really think about it, um, that God puts upon himself. One is he chooses not to make you do stuff, gives you free will. And the other is he honors people's decisions who reject him by pulling his presence back from hell. It's the only place he pulls his presence back from, which is what makes it hell in the first place, the absence of God. By definition, God cannot have limitation unless he puts limitation upon himself. You have a powerful, amazing, and loving God. The role of the Holy Spirit is He's omnipresent, the part of God that is present everywhere, except for that which He chooses to withhold His presence from, which would be hell. Honoring the request of those who do not want God in their life. He equips and empowers, as we mentioned, very important especially when you're facing hard things. I think every single one of us need the empowering and the equipping of God every day, if we're honest. He also brings us to inspiration to worship the Father. And he inspires us to want to pursue godliness and to fight against our own fleshly desires. Our flesh wars against us. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspires us to want to be a better you, right? As even a non-Christian would probably use that kind of language. The Holy Spirit is the one that inspires people to want to improve their life and to want to specifically improve their life so they can bring honor and worship to God, the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives purpose in life. The Holy Spirit is also the one who corrects us. And if you think about it, the Holy Spirit is the one who is kindly trying to correct you so that you don't face the ultimate judgment of the Father in heaven. He's trying to correct you so that you can have a huge reward in heaven instead of pay a huge price. Some people would refer to it sort of as your conscious, right? When you're about to do something really stupid and you're thinking, oh, this is going to cost me, Dad's going to get mad at me. The Holy Spirit is kind of like that conscience telling you, hey, there is a better way this is going to cost you. It's that gentle warning. Presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the one who convicts us for repentance when we do something wrong. And we see in Paul's letters, I'm not going to reference it here at this exact moment, but we see there is a pattern where the Holy Spirit very gently, and I mean very gently, and very subtly nudges to try to correct people. But many, many ignore that. And so then the Holy Spirit gets louder and sometimes starts to allow pain into your life to get your attention. Because like it or not, people are motivated by pain to change. And when that doesn't work, the Holy Spirit begins to correct, and then the Holy Spirit begins to rebuke, and then the Holy Spirit begins to set you, the enemy, upon you. There is an increase. You can read it in, in Paul's letters where he talks about how the Holy Spirit slowly allows, if you would, the turning up of heat or correction because the purpose isn't to cause harm to you. The purpose is to help change you to be Christ-likeness so that you can bring honor and glory to the Father and so that you also can live an amazing life and so even more importantly, so you can have an amazing eternity. The Holy Spirit is for you in his correction and his guidance. As we mentioned before, the Holy Spirit is a messenger at his core. So this is the Trinity that we worship. I'm going to quickly, it might go kind of long tonight, but this is important theology, so we're going to do our best. I'm going to read through four squares, just official kind of definitions here, and then we'll dig into these scriptures. All right, so the role of the Father, whose glory is so exceedingly bright that mortal man cannot look upon his face and live. But whose heart is so filled with love and pity for his lost and sin benigned or ignorant children that he freely gave his only begotten son to redeem and reconcile them unto himself. All right? So the Father is infinitely perfect, infinitely holy, and because he's infinitely holy, he he sheds light. Remember whenever Jesus was transformed upon the mountain, what happened to his face? They said they just looked like the glory of God, like the sun, literally. His face was radiant. They couldn't look upon him. And when Moses goes up upon the mountain to, have his, to see God, what happens to him? He glows. He becomes radiant, they said, like lightning. And he has to put a veil over his face not to hurt all the Israelites' eyes. Because he has seen the face of the Father and the glory of the Father reflected upon Moses. Remember when Jesus appears before Paul on the road to Damascus? What does Paul say? He says, they saw a man like lightning. Jesus appears in his glory, in his heavenly glory. He is a glow of the holiness of God. Which is often why Jesus appears in fire. And when he's with the four, um, uh, I call them the amigos, the three amigos, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar King sees there are four men in the furnace. He threw three in the furnace. Now there are four. And one looks like the Son of God, he says. He is a glow of the glory and holiness of God. Think about that. Someday you're going to get to see the glory of God. And it's going to cause you to want to worship like you never have before. The Son, coexistent and co-eternal with the Father, who conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, took upon himself the form of man, borne our sins, carried our sorrows, and by the shedding of his precious blood upon the cross of Calvary, purchased redemption for all that who would believe upon him. Then bursting the bonds of death and hell, rose from the grave and ascended unto high, leading captives out of captivity. That is the great mediator between God and man, the might. He might stand at the right hand of the Father, make an intercession for those whom he laid down his life. He's also, we see in Revelation, the one who is worthy to hold the scroll from the Father and to usher in the end of history to finally defeat the devil. This is the man who, the God-Man, who rescues captives from the clutches of hell. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the Spirit of God, shed abroad, omnipotent, omnipresent, performing an inexpressibly important mission upon earth, convicting of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, drawing sinners to the Savior, rebuking and pleading, searching and comforting, guiding and quickening, teaching and glorifying, baptizing and enduring with power from on high, those who yield to his tender ministrations, preparing them for the great day of the Lord's appearing. Again, the Holy Spirit's role is to be your most amazing friend and advocate and to lead you to the Father. To point the work of Jesus out upon you, upon your life, and to set you up so that you can have an amazing eternity full of the riches and rewards of your Father God by honoring Him in your life here. Genesis 1 26, when I go through these scriptures as I can talking about the Trinity the God said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them right Adam and Eve and therefore people male and female he created them so, we have to remember from the very beginning, God says He created things in our image. Right? God is telling us the Trinity, the whole Trinity, was involved in the creation of the world and the creation of man. How many of you are pretty familiar with the Narnia books? Right? So, if you read through the Narnia books, one of the things that hopefully you catch on the The role of God the Father is the king beyond the sea, C.S. Lewis talks about, and Aslan is the Jesus character, right? And when when, when God goes to create the world, Aslan goes into the world and he roars and he sings and he speaks it into existence at the will of the king beyond the sea, at the will of the Father. See, all three are involved in the creation of the world and the creation of mankind, and God says in his word that his power comes from his mouth and that he spoke it into existence. And similarly, he speaks you into existence and has a plan and purpose for your life. And we are created in the image of God means that there is certainly a reflection of us in God. While we don't have the fullness of God, there are some things about us that are a reflection of him. One of those things being our spirit. He created human beings with an eternal spirit. So once you are born, you have an eternal spirit. God says it's dead, unfortunately, due to the fall, which we'll get to next week but that it's going to go on forever. Those that have a dead spirit go to hell because they refuse to accept Jesus Christ and they reject him all their life. And he gives them the honor that that lets them have the choice basically they want. Or those who ask for repentance and forgiveness of sins and confess their sin before the Father and identify with the work of Jesus upon the cross. Jesus says he nails your sin to the cross and sets you free for all of eternity, and he breathes life into you, or deposits his Holy Spirit into you, as it says in Hebrews. We have a mind like God, where we can think creatively and uniquely. Again, not the full capacity of God, obviously, but a reflection, a small reflection of him. We have emotions where we can feel like God, and we have a will and choices, and we can make choices like God being created in the image of God. Isaiah 44.8 says, Is there any God besides me? That's what God says. There is no other rock. I know not one. Right? There is no other real God other than the rock eternal. Isaiah 26.4, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Right? He is the only God. There is only one eternal God. And again, by definition, God has to be eternal with no beginning or no end, unbound by time, the only creature upon the universe unbound by time. John one five seventy-eight says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven the Father, the Word, also referred to as Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And John pointed out the Trinity. Remember, John likes to use the language, the word became flesh, right? And the flesh dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus being the word, the word of God. Again, the word of God spoke from the mouth of the Father, right? Came in the flesh of Jesus, and Jesus spoke the gospels into existence, right? Through his life and through his ministry and through his actions, the word became flesh. All right, the role of the father. Exodus 33, 20. He says, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Which again, we ask the question, why? And we know now is because of his holiness of God. And remember what Isaiah says? It's in 6, 5 to 8. He says, Woe to me, Isaiah says. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Right? In other words, I speak... Badly. I've said things I shouldn't. Out of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart, right? And Isaiah confesses his own sin. My heart is unclean, therefore my lips speak what is unclean. He says, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels in heaven, flew to me with a live coal in his hands. And when he had taken the tongs from the altar of God, with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, I think you may know or you may not know, but remember the tabernacle in, in uh, Egypt, or the Israelites, I mean? The tabernacle and all the things they had set up, They had the brazen altar and the altar of incense and all those things, all of those things are a mini version of what's in heaven. Did you know that? There is an altar of heaven and the tabernacle has one. There is an incense in heaven and the tabernacle had some incense. Every one of those things, there is is a reflection of what was in the worship of heaven, in heaven. So then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. So what's important about the role of God the Father? What are some things that are important about his role? That's important for you to know and be able to communicate to others too. Go ahead. What's important? Okay. He never changes. What else? You what? Yeah. He's holy. Right, his holiness is incredibly important. Why is it important to worship a God that is holy? Would anybody else be worthy of worship? If you had a God that was not holy, then he would be just like everybody else, full of sin and wanting to use you rather than to bless you. God's holiness is very important. Yeah, self sacrificial. And you can trust also in the judgment of God because he's going to, you know, how many times in life do you say or think it's not fair? Because you're right. Life isn't fair. But God says, Jesus tells the disciples when they are saying it's not fair, he's telling them to wait for the Father because the Father will set everything right. Jesus is telling them, bear all of this, because the Father will set it right. You can trust in the judgment of the Father. He will reward those who deserve a reward and proportionately reward them. And he will punish those who deserve a punishment and proportionately punish them. No one's going to face a bigger punishment than the devil. the devil. we do understand a little bit that there is a depth to hell. The farther down you go, the worse it is, or however you want to put it. It's where Dante's Inferno got. I got a little wacky, but it was from ideas that the Catholic Church had about heaven and hell. But it comes from the idea of the judgment and the reward of the Father. You can trust in the judgment and the reward and the punishment of the Father. You can also trust that the Father is in eternal control all the time. He never leaves the throne, which is incredibly important. And he doesn't have to, because the Holy Spirit is covering everything. All right, Jesus the Son, John 1, 1 1-5, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning." Through him all things were made, right? From the mouth of Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus provides a true victory over the darkness. All authority and power of Jesus overcomes every evil thing, every evil person in the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Anybody know what begotten means? I had a good discussion with Pastor Alex about this because I was like, I feel like I'm missing something. Begotten means uniquely uniquely singular throughout all of eternal history. There, there, in other words, there is never and never will be someone like Jesus. He's not just an only Son of God, but he is uniquely singular throughout all of human history and all of eternal history as well. Begotten also means heir or heir to the throne. A uniquely singular heir throughout all of human history and all of eternal history. The only begotten son. Matthew 1 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? And this Emmanuel brings everlasting life, the incarnation of God in the flesh. Isaiah 43, 1 Timothy and Ephesians 2.8 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. For there is no God, and there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For through him we both have access by the one Spirit to the Father. Jesus said it in many different ways, but he tries to make it as clear as possible. And people... Do not like this. This is why they call Christians intolerant. Because we just simply honor the words of God himself. He said, there is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot work your way into heaven. You can never be good enough. There is one way to the Father, and that is through the works and salvation work of Jesus Christ who gave himself willingly as a ransom. Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only mediator, and he is the only ransom from the dominance of sin. Without Jesus, your life is dominated by sin, whether you realize it or not. Some may be worse than others, but it's dominated by sin. The only way out of a life, a life dominated by sin is through the only mediator, the only ransom, and the only savior, Jesus Christ. And he alone has the holiness and the authority of the Father. So, what is so uniquely important about the role of Jesus? did you say it but you repeat it back in your own words why is it important for your friends to know Jesus yeah he's our only meat eater the only ransom you have to pay a cost for your sin so Jesus says I paid the cost see you you What switches you before the Father from facing punishment that you deserve to receiving a reward that maybe you don't deserve but you've yet earned is by the ransom of Jesus, paying the ransom for your sins. And as your mediator, you get adopted, words of Scripture, become an adopted heir of the father and therefore you receive a reward as an adopted son or daughter and you receive that reward proportionally based on your actions and your words and your life you lived and obedience to the father you know we have an interesting view of inheritance because uh, in America you're supposed to I got three kids right so someday when I die I'm supposed to give all three kids an equal portion, right? That's how we understand it. You know, I've heard a lot of uh, articles recently. I was just reading. I just like learning about money, I guess. But learned, uh, some articles that they are advising, one different financial advisor after another said, don't do that, actually. Because some of your kids might choose to be really, really bad money managers and therefore you should not give them very much because you know they're going to blow it. Reward based on how much faith you have in them to do well with what you give them, right? And that's kind of how God the Father actually works in heaven. He doesn't give everyone an equal reward. You get an equal reward if you accept Jesus and you get into heaven, but your proportionate reward of whatever that looks like is going to be based upon how trustworthy you actually were in the real Testing waters, which we call life on Earth. Yeah, kind of like the talents. So therefore, you will be rewarded proportionally based upon your obedience to the Father. But Jesus is really important, right? He's important, like we mentioned, for salvation and for our mediator. We didn't even get to it, but He's also the Baptizer of the Holy Spirit, the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is really important because we can have, while it comes through, as I think Christian said earlier, the Holy Spirit, we can have a relationship with Jesus. Because he's our mediator. And he advocates for us. Which indicates that he knows you. You can't advocate for someone you don't know. Which tells us Jesus is paying very close attention to you. The Holy Spirit, I'm not going to get all into it. Um, we're actually going to do it another night just because there's a lot there. But I'm going to do just a few little things. John fifteen twenty six says, When the Helper comes, whom I, Jesus, shall send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will, be, will testify of me, the Christ. The Holy Spirit testifies from the work of Jesus. So your friends who do not yet know God the Holy Spirit's at work in their lives, working on them. He brings evidence of the work of Jesus to them and convicts them of sin. There are people all over the world who never even hear the gospel, but yet repent and give their life to Jesus simply from the work of the Holy Spirit, which is amazing. There's lots of evidence of like the natives even doing this before the, you know, Christianity came to America. The Holy Spirit comes from Jesus, but he is sent to you by the Father and he brings testimony or testifies about Jesus. It's interesting that we as Christians are asked to do the same thing. We are sent or commissioned by Jesus to bring testimony about Jesus to our non-believing friends and to testify of the goodness of the Father and to share our story of what God has done in our lives. Holy Spirit does a lot more. Again, we'll get into, including being a messenger, equipping us, comforting us, etc. And again, He is the omnipresent part of the Godhead. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. I know there is just a lot um, to this coming at us tonight. There are. Uh, theologians and pastors and seminaries around the country that literally will spend an entire year just talking about God the Father. And they'll spend another entire year talking about the Son, and they'll spend another entire year talking about the Holy Spirit. There is much to learn. Lord, I pray that each student here would would make their faith in you very personal. Jesus, that they would really truly um, strive to make you their best friend. Holy Spirit, that they wouldn't be afraid of you and that they would speak to you and pray to you and respond to your messages and your inclinations and your direction in their life. Holy Spirit, I pray that the students would inspire the students to and the leaders to get into your word and then it would come alive because Jesus, you said you are the word of life and that the Bible is the word of God or your words and every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father is a gift. And this Bible we have paid for with the blood of the saints is the word of God. And Jesus, I... I want to see each and every one of these students in heaven someday. Blessed with the riches of heaven because they've lived an abundant life and honor and glory to you. So they wouldn't just barely get in, God. But they've lived in a, a life of dedication and of honor and of praise and glory to you. And may they be blessed now, not just in eternity, for their dedication to you. And Father, we are so removed from you because of our sin that uh, we just don't understand holiness, God. And so I ask that you'd forgive us. And you'd help us to be more like you. And Lord, I I pray that you would turn us into a holy community. That it's normal to live for you and to glorify you and to store up in our hearts the goodness of God. And that out of our mouths would come the goodness of God. One to another and to our lost friends. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.